You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. I, I can't say enough about this uh, musical that has come to town here. Highly acclaimed, so much buzz around this show, but we're fortunate enough to have the touring cast here in Philadelphia. The show is beautiful, the Carol King musical. And I have to say, this really is the soundtrack of our life. I mean, when you go and you look at all the music that Carol King is responsible for, I would say most people know of her performing years, but boy, what a story leading up to the fact of uh, what happened before she stepped in front of the microphone. And that's why this story is so remarkable. You know, usually when they do these type of bio musicals or even biopics, uh, they get bogged down in, in so much of the stuff or they just take the soundtrack and slap it together. They hope that it comes out with a story at the end. This really takes us on a journey uh, from the early days of Carol King to um, the superstar that she is today. We are fortunate enough to have with us here. Long introduction to get to the two of you. <laughs> but that's how much I really, I can't say enough about this production. We have uh, two of the stars of Beautiful here in studio with us, Becky Goldsvig and Ben Fankhauser. Yeah, that's right. Good Welcome morning. to Philadelphia. <laughs> Thanks. I wanted to make sure I got the thumbs up that yeah. I got the names oh, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Philadelphia. Thanks. Thank you. I'm looking at the two of you. You're way too young to know some of the hits that... Carol was responsible for before she stepped out on her own career. I didn't realize some of these songs that are showcased in this musical, I didn't know she she wrote these songs. Right. Um, and, and yet we know of her performance in front of the mic, but we'll get into some of those songs there. But, I mean, when you got cast into this show, I'm sure you knew of Carol King, but did you realize the depth of her music, the numbers that she has given us? Well, I think the common discovery for myself, but also for audience members, was that, yes, we actually do know the songs. We just didn't know they were hers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so that has, is always fun to hear people realize, oh, that one, oh, that one, because she wrote for the Drifters and the Shirelles, and, and they wrote The Locomotion, which has been done by everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, these are songs, I said, that are pretty much the soundtrack uh, of our life. We know the songs. But as I said, it was an eye-opening experience to me because I only knew of her, only knew of her work from her performance. You know, right. when she was in front of the microphone or up on the stage. But as uh, you know, as Becky just mentioned, there were so many songs that she wrote for the top acts at their time. I want to talk about your characters because the two of you play the husband and wife team that are still alive today that collaborated with Carol? Well, uh, they, they didn't collaborate together. Moreover, they were um, competitors and, and friends. Each uh, writing group was was vying for like the number one spot mm -hmm. at any given time. This is a musical that will entertain. It really tugs at your heartstrings. I mean, uh, I, I actually, in doing my research for you know the interview, you got to be, I think whenever you take on a project, 
where the person that the show is based upon is still alive, you sort of worry that you make sure that you are. And even in the case of the husband and wife team that you portray, they're, they're still around. They're still alive. So you know, does that put added pressure on you then as actors that you want to make sure that, yes, it's a role that you're taking on, but they could also one day be in the audience to see the production? Definitely. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. we, you try to do the research you can do, and then you try to bring yourself to the character. But mm -hmm. for me, I, I honestly, I feel more pressures in interviews. Really? <laughs> because um, she retweets the interviews, and she, I know she listens and sees them, and so I hope that I'm doing her justice as much mm -hmm. offstage as on, because, you know, we're talking about real people. We're not just talking about a character. Even though they are different, they were written mm -hmm. different than they would be in real life a little bit. Sure. But it's definitely clearly based on someone that's still alive and listening to the radio, for example. So, you know, you always want to just make sure you're doing them justice as human beings as well as, as artists. Uh, and, and looking at your theatrical credits, I mean, you're both Broadway veterans having appeared on Broadway mm. in, your, in your career. Has this role, I hate to use the word challenging, because I think every role on the stage is challenging. Mm -hmm. And then when you take uh, a role in a musical, it's even more challenging. And then when you, it's based on you know someone's life but would, would would the two of you say that from your vantage point now uh in, in some of the roles that you've had that this is if not the most challenging the most fulfilling because um it's it's a contemporary story it's mm -hmm. a, a story about a real person it's a story that resonates with audiences of every age because whether you're a young kid at a party or a grandparent we've all heard this music mm -hmm. whether it's on the radio or at somebody's wedding what has the role that you play what have the roles meant to the two of you you know for me like what you said about the show resonating with people that's pretty profound in um in, in the show for me because for me theater is all about like catharsis and going as an audience member to have an experience and to be moved and like you said i think people of all ages are moved by the story because it is sort of a rise to stardom rags to riches mm -hmm. story and it's an amazing one at that and um, I think that's my favorite aspect of, of the role in the show is is getting to enjoy that catharsis or whatever you want to call it that sure. the, the people come to the theater for. And to be a part of that is the most rewarding part for me. Becky, would you agree? Um... Yeah. I. You know, it's funny because I've, I've played the person in the show before where you are doing all the work and you're in every number and you're, and, and you're really carrying the load. And I'm... Having done that, I'm able to appreciate where I sit in this show, which is on her right hand. Right. I'm, I'm the friend. I'm the one she comes and sits and cries on the couch with. And I, I feel like I'm partly, you know, in and part of that. And I'm also, I have moments where I feel like I'm, I get to be the fly on the wall. And right. I get to watch her bow and watch the audience fall in love with Carol and with Abby, who yeah. is just fantastic. And I feel like, as in the story where you know, Cynthia has the friendship to offer and, and is this sort of sparring, like, spark that keeps things rolling in some ways and, and they have their teamwork, uh, Barry and Cynthia. I feel like I have that friendship to offer and that sort of um, is on stage and off. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, like, I like that. I like exploring that end of... Uh, you know, that responsibility in sure. the show. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, you know, look, you're going to come out and you're going to see Beautiful um, at the Academy of Music in downtown Philadelphia, and there are tickets still available. It is a limited uh, production, a limited run, so you do need to get out and, and see the production. But, you know, not only will you be entertained, but you will be so in awe of how Carol King's career really developed. Not only her 
musical career, but even her relationships. You know, you talk about here's somebody that was, I think she starts as a secretary. In right. York, she grew up yeah. in New York. Uh, and she, she embarks on this journey then as a, uh, as a, a writer, a, a songwriter. And then, you know, she falls in love with the man she thinks is her husband forever. She goes through some turbulent times. And oftentimes in the creative arts, we see this character arc. We see these people that go in with maybe blinders on or so naive and, you know, they fall in love and then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from underneath them and lo and behold, they have two ways to go. Either you can sink or you could rise to the challenge and, and think about, you know, the recording industry, even back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and even today, it's, a, it's, a, it's much different than what we think the recording industry is all about. So we get a little bit of a glimpse of that. So yes, you'll be entertained, but you're also going to come away with an appreciation of, not, I should also mention too, what it was like for a woman to sort of compete in this early day of uh, music because there were a lot of guys that were writing the songs and whether they were recording or not, it was sort of, sort of unheard of for a woman to be at the at the forefront in writing all these songs and then turning it into a, you know, a, look, there's some people that just write songs for a living. Sometimes you get the opportunity to perform and then sometimes you really have the opportunity to make a brilliant career out of it. Mm -hmm. You're just going to agree with me. Or, you, no, I, <laughs> you're, 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 saying you're, you're, you're saying everything point. we normally have to say, oh. so it's good. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a great inspirational story and, and you really do see her overcome the heartache yeah. and, and her mom has a great line you know you did this all without him yeah. you started this without him you can still do it and yeah. I think yeah. that sometimes we all no matter man or woman we need that person that sort of calls you out and says no you're fine keep going and I, and I think too what you said earlier I, I think a lovely aspect about the story is that we see her as a young ambitious uh, perhaps a little naive artist and she gets the rug pulled out from under her a couple times yeah. and I think we've all you know I think that's a base human emotion to feel and I think it's nice to see someone recover from that and succeed yeah. you, you know in, in those circumstances because oftentimes that doesn't happen as I said sometimes yeah. people just have everything they lose it and then they just never really recover okay. from right, it you know right. uh, and, and that's again inspirational on so many different levels for, for so many different people yeah. so uh, we talked earlier in the interview about you know portraying you know real people uh, that are still alive today. Uh, have you had the opportunity not only to meet Carol, but have you had the opportunity to meet, to meet uh, uh, Cynthia Barry. And, and Barry? Yeah. We haven't met our people yet, but we met Carol. You did? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she, what was Boston. that like? Awesome. She surprised us in Boston. So she saw cool. the show, and we didn't know. We had a, a meeting on stage after. And so we were all just standing around waiting, and then the press department appeared. And, oh, we ladies like, and oh. gentlemen, here's Carol King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And she was so kind and gracious and spoke for a while and then was like, okay, I think you probably all want pictures, so let's take pictures. Wow. And mm -hmm. it was great. It's got to be you got to get caught up in the moment. I mean, it is kind of overwhelming. It's like, you know, the Pope walks into the room. Yeah. Right. You just don't, you know, it's sort of surreal. You know, here you are, you're performing like eight shows a week, and mm -hmm. you know, based on this woman's life, and then... All of a sudden, yeah. The, the the giveaway is when the press people walk in. Right. Oh, there's something going on here. There's you know, right, sort right. of like you know, at, at Disney, you know, when when they fly under the radar, you don't know who is who. But then all of a sudden, when you know the suits walk in with the name tags, there's a yeah. you know, there's a <laughs> right, sign right, that there's right. something going yep. on here, right? Yeah, yep. exactly. We we talk about these bio musicals. You know, we talk about you know, like the Jersey Boys, and they go to. Um, you know, Frankie Valley camp to, you know, for the lead actor to make sure that they get Frankie Valley being Frankie Valley. How much, I mean, how much preparation goes into, you know, and, and whether the lead that plays Carol in this production, how much preparation goes into 
taking on your roles? I mean, you know, are you just handed a script, you learn your lines, or do they tell you to do some research into the characters that you're playing in order to perhaps capture the essence of mm -hmm. who you're playing? Well, uh, the, the way we did our uh, process was the first week of rehearsals, we did what we called table work, where um, the six principals sat around the table with the director and the associate director and the playwright, and we went through the script, I mean, you know, at a minute, how do you say, it? you know, just very slowly, and talked about every possible thing you can talk about, about what they were going through, about what was happening in the times, about what the environment was like, and... Um, yeah, we just spent a week just sort of all getting on the same page about the vision of the show and the, and the director, you know, would give his directions and thoughts and, right. and visions. And, um, and then, yeah, there were some research materials, some books about the, the era of the time, the Brill building. And um, there was some research to be done on that. And talking to our playwright, Doug McGrath, who sat down with all four of the songwriters, Carol, Jerry, Barry, and Cynthia, for a couple of weeks and did a massive interview and just really captured their essences. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was nice to pick his brain and, and hear about who these people really were. Do you come away with a better appreciation uh, going through that process of what was going on at the time? Because look, you know, it's one thing to take on a role, but to know how her career evolved, uh, you know, through the 60s and 70s. Do you come away with a better appreciation for that part of our history, because as I said before, you're way too young to remember those times, but it, it sort of puts you in the in the zone, if you will, that you can sort of understand not only what it was like for her to be a songwriter at that time, as well as the other her three other songwriting friends or collaborators or competitors. Does that give you a better appreciation when you step out on the stage that if the year is 1971, you know, you could feel that it's 1971? Kind of. I mean, I think it was super interesting to learn about that time and, and how it functioned. But then I also think what makes it relatable is that a certain percentage of it hasn't changed at all. Sure. It's still competitive. It's driven. There's lots happening. It, you know, it's not that long ago that we can picture what it would have been like. Mm -hmm. And we both live in New York, so we know what that that pace is. You right. know, they always say just lean forward. Keep like, you're always on the edge because that new hit could go right in front of you and you miss it. You know, it's. So that, that sort of drive, and as any sort of artist, you know what it's like to have to feel your own fire and really go for it. And, and it, even though it is an artistic experience, it's also competitive mm -hmm. when you're doing it as a business. So, mm -hmm. so that level of things is incredibly relatable and hasn't changed that much, even sure. though the scope may have changed and the, the, the way the media gets out there has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. um, and the accessibility has changed. But, um, but it is cool to learn about just how much of just the song factories 1650 yeah, broadway yeah. where we take place and the brill building like it's it's you don't always think about that with the oldies you know i grew yeah. up listening to oldies stations so yeah. i did know all these songs and um and you think oh it was probably you know someone in their garage just like writing <laughs> which yes that happened but these were actual hit factories and they were just little cubicles and they wrote as many songs as they could to hopefully get the next hit yeah and that's pretty interesting to to learn about maybe it's it's because hollywood glamorizes some of these stories, but uh, yeah, you know, even in Philadelphia, you know, at one time Philadelphia was a bustling metropolis of recording studios, and you know, um, one of the guys responsible for one of the labels here in Philadelphia was Dick Clark. But we oh, only wow. remember Dick Clark for Bandstand <laughs> yeah. and right. New Year's Eve, rocking, mm -hmm. you know, New Year's Eve. But you know, he, there were a number of recording studios here, and you talk about walking past some of these buildings, one of which they just tore down, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But that's where the sound of Philadelphia was born and uh, you know the building is gone and how many times people walk by that building not knowing 
the magic mm-hmm. that was going on, you know, behind that door. Right. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, this is inspiring on so many different levels because I really like when we can appreciate our history, you know, whether it's the recording industry, whether it's radio, television, you know, we don't take it for granted. You know, look, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into a lot of careers. And, and that's, you know, with this, you know, with this show, we get a taste of that. And we see, yes, it's, you know, it, it's Carol, it's her story. But you can only imagine how many other artists uh, worked in the same cubicles and maybe did not get the recognition right. that she did uh, for what for whatever reason. Right. Um, again, the musical "Beautiful," the Carol King musical, is playing here in Philadelphia at the Academy of Music. When I have actors in, you know, are starring in, you know, a major production, I have to ask because I think it's interesting what the audition process was like to get into this get into this musical or has this was this audition process any different from some of the other shows that you've been in i for me it wasn't um anything out of the ordinary it was sort of like the situation where you go in one week and then they call your agent calls you and says you know they'd like to see you again and then maybe see you one more time and then the last step was we got together on like a Wednesday with the creative team and they videotaped us and we read some scenes together um and and then that was it I think that the only thing well the, the major thing that makes this casting process different is that the actual real life people have the stamp of approval. So if we had gone in and and we were the ones that the casting people picked, but they did not like us, we would not have the role. So the fact that they did is great. Thank you, you, Barry and Cynthia. But but that that is an added element. That you're portraying a real person that is involved enough that if if they decide to not choose you, that's that. So that's that's a sort of unique aspect. Yeah. Did you know that going into the audition that regardless what the casting director feels that there was going to have to be this other stamp of approval? No, not till the end. Okay. Till they said, "Okay, you have to go on camera now cuz they actually have approval of casting." Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, everything was very positive. It was just right. like this is the last step. But does it that mm-hmm. put a little bit more pressure on you now because you know that for for me, I didn't. It didn't register in my mind that it's like, okay, there's somebody who can trump every decision that is that is being made in this room. Right, right. It, it didn't register on that level. It was just like, oh, there's just should be another person in this room. They're just absent right now, so they're videotaping it. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like it. It didn't feel like there was more pressure. Uh, but maybe that's my mind protecting myself. <laughs> not letting, you know. We have uh, two of the stars of Beautiful here in studio with us: Becky Goldsvig and Ben Fankhauser. When you step out on the stage, and whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's Boston, uh, whether it's St. Louis, a show that is so critically acclaimed like this show, and there's such a positive vibe, uh, are you aware of the audience when you're when that curtain is just ready to go up or open or or, or I mean when you're there and the and the orchestra starts, do you get butterflies? I'm not in the first 20 minutes of the show, so yeah. it's a little different for yeah, me. Still, but, but, yeah, but, but the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> but you do at, feel at it. minute 21, when you know you have to step out. Do you, no, do you, you feel it. Well, and I hear over the monitor every night because you've got the or, you've got the um, the overture of sorts, and then um, the lights come up on Carol playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, the audience applauds just at the sight of her. Right. And right. at those first few notes of So Far Away. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful moment and to even just hear it over our normal speaker in the dressing room you know that the audience is with you from the first second Mm -hmm. and having sat in the audience in new york 
you know what the audience feels like. And the best part of the show is that it it's like that everywhere. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. everyone loves Carol King. Yeah. yeah. You know, you never hear someone that says, oh, she's... No, no never. You never hear a negative anything about her. People mm-hmm. love her and they love her music. And mm-hmm. so they come in so excited and... And then to hear them realize the story and realize the songs they didn't know were hers mm-hmm. and then to hear them feel for her. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear those reactions when her and Jerry start to fall apart and mm-hmm. he gets he gets difficult or he yells at her and you hear people gasp or, you know, you sometimes hear them talk back at him because yeah. they're yeah. upset for her. And mm-hmm. and we really take them on this journey and, and you do feel the audience. It's definitely a there's sort of a, another character in the show because you really mm-hmm. just feel that energy coming back at you. So had you seen the show uh, prior to being cast in the show? Did you see the show on Broadway before they announced the national tour and you were cast in the in the, in the the tour? Yeah, I had seen it. Yeah, me too. I saw it and I sent an email to my agent right after and I said, I hear they're doing a tour of this. Maybe I can get an audition. <laughs> so that's how it works. That's how it works. You got to be proactive. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's, that's brilliant on your part, but... You also went to Ithaca, which is one of the best schools here on the East Coast. So yeah. I, I, I hear it's gorgeous. Hey, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. very good. Yeah. Um, we're talking with uh, uh, Becky and uh, Ben. Famed comedian. B and B. Yeah, uh, we're talking about their uh, roles in Beautiful, which is playing here at the Academy of Music. Um, do you get confused sometimes? Um, what city you're in, what day it is. Is it Eastern Daylight Time or Daylight right. Savings Time? Or City, no. Day, yes. <laughs> yeah. It can get a little, yeah. I don't know, especially like if there's a time zone change, it's a little like it takes a day or two to be like, oh, yeah, I'm in this city. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a, it's it's definitely can get a little challenging, especially all the different backstages are so different. Sure, yeah. And so you can, it's easy to get lost or disoriented or something lost like that. Lost backstage, really? Well, yeah, you the know, there's a lot of there's a lot of hallways and twists and turns, and they have these little lovely arrows for us on the walls to point us in the right direction. You've never been still... late getting out onto the stage, though. Oh, not this show. <laughs> not this it happened show. to me on another tour. It happened to me, and I missed my entrance by about three seconds because I was I found myself in some boiler room and I oh. didn't know how to go to the stage because it was our first night in the venue. Anyway, so but I made it barely. So what happens? Does it, you know, what the orchestra ramp up like for three seconds? Well, it's or? like you know your scene partners are sort of stalling and talking a little bit slower, <laughs> and then I come in all out of breath, the and I'm like, everyone's <laughs> looking at you like. But that's the magic of live theater, exactly. though, because the audience doesn't know. Your heart is pounding because you're three seconds late getting you know, out on the stage, but. The audience isn't aware. Yeah, of it. perhaps all that they're aware of is that, like, man, the one characters seem really <laughs> nervous for some reason. <laughs> um, as, as as Becky mentioned a moment ago, audiences universally embrace this show. Um, certain, th- I mean, do certain things work in the Midwest as opposed to the East Coast? Do things work in Boston? Not necessarily work in Philadelphia, or once the show is locked down, the show is locked down, and there's really not much that is going to change to facilitate the audience. Well, not a lot changes to facilitate the audience, but certain things do resonate differently, house to house, town to town. Really? I mean, mean, just the sense of humor. You know, it it is a very New York, East Coast sense of humor, pace, all that stuff. And and it's funny because that still resonates everywhere, but certain jokes hit in different places. And even we were talking about in the car how different um, different theaters, we hear more of the audience. Like sometimes the sound is just all out, sure, and we yeah. have to trust that they're loving it. And then sometimes just the the way the, the space echoes, we hear every little 
whisper, thwack, mm-hmm. ha, gasp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is different for us and keeps it helps keep it fresh for us, I, honestly, because just the spaces are so so different and 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 gorgeous like yeah. seeing all these different theaters and the academy of music is mm. oh, stunning pro- <laughs> yeah i mean if, if not one of the oldest theaters in philadelphia uh the oldest theater in philadelphia it's well over 100 and some years old but mm. you know you talk about these old show places like even in new york you know like the amsterdam and you know some of the uh, again i think we lose a lot you know we're, we're going in to see a broadway production People are just going in to see the Broadway production, but I just like to sit in the theater and look at all the detail because obviously there was someone at some time who went in and painted those columns with the with the gold, Mm -hmm. whatever it is Mm -hmm. that's up there, and you know people really don't appreciate that. But I think that's part of the whole theater going experience. Mm -hmm. And even with the Academy of Music, you know people complain, you know the seats are too tight, it's too cramped, Mm -hmm. but yet you're talking about one of the most historic venues in a city. Built, you know, built on, built on history. Right. Um, so before I let you go, I have to ask that question. Your favorite? Come on, you're looking at me like, what's he going to ask? <laughs> you, you know this question, right? Your favorite Carol King song? Mm. No one's ever asked that question before. No, they have. I just you're didn't know where. Me. I just didn't know where you were going. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's hard to pick one. That is my constant answer. <laughs> I really like "You've Got a Friend." Mm-hmm. But I have a very strong appreciation now for Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because people say, oh, it's, we don't even know that one, and that's the title of the show. And I was like, see the show, you'll see why. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then listen to those lyrics mm-hmm. again and realize just how brilliant of a song that is mm-hmm. and what a message that portrays. Um, and I think even just listening to some of her songs, like there's, you know, we sit in the bitter end every night and listen to her sing, mm-hmm. It's Too Late. And, and as you listen you just listen to the words like we're so used to loving her tunes and singing along but then you listen to the lyrics they're they're awesome yeah yeah and and it doesn't get old i'm not tired of hearing the show that Mm -hmm. happens you know you're like oh i can't go near that soundtrack i did that it's uh close it off it's like your favorite radio station yeah yeah you can't go wrong yeah mine changes i think from time to time what my favorite is i think right now i think it might be earth move just because it grooves so hard especially in our show Mm -hmm with the orchestration but yeah it's just a great groove and kind of love the message it's like i'm here i'm present i'm like yeah yeah uh, what's so brilliant is that you talk about lyrics on the radio i think the the reaction you get from hearing a song on the radio while you're in the car is totally different than the reaction you're going to get from watching this production oh yeah because um you know, there, there are emotions in all her songs, emotions in all her songs, but to see her life play out with the back, with the with the soundtrack of her life, yeah, um, it's hard not to get swept up in the words that we take for granted in these songs. We know we listen to them on the radio, we sing along, but now to see this whole puzzle come together, right? Um, you have a totally different emotional reaction well, I, I to think Carole it, King. It, it puts so much more meaning behind uh, one of her songs when in the scene right before it, you see how that song was written and mm-hmm. what she was going through at the time that that sort of inspired that, you know, the theme of the song or, sure. or whatever. So I think that helps people really understand like the meaning of these lyrics and 
and the emotions behind them. Oh, so where are you now in your contract? I mean, are you halfway through your tour? We're halfway through um, the first year. And so, you know, not to you know put the cart before the horse here, but <laughs> would you like to continue if they'll continue to have you? Or are you already looking, you already call your agent and say, hey, you know, I hear they're taking this out on the road. Uh, uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I could do this show forever. Really? It's a great show. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not, like, I, like you said, I'm not tired of it. It's yeah. awesome. The yeah. show's super fun. Well, again, tickets are still available. Uh, it's at the Academy of Music. Beautiful, the Carol King musical. I want to thank Becky Goldsvig and Ben Fankhauser for being with us here. Uh, continued success. Thank you. In the true uh, showbiz sense, break a leg. Thank you. <laughs> and, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks so much for your time and uh, continued success. I really in, in, enjoy the show, enjoy the music, enjoy you. Uh, come back and see us again. Will thanks. You? We'll good. do. Thank you. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.